Chapter Seven of Partial Portraits by Henry James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Rita Boutros. Chapter Seven. Alphonse Daudet. Section Three. It is for the expressive talents that we feel an affection, and Daudet is eminently expressive. His manner is the manner of talk, and if the talk is sincere, that makes a writer touch us. Daudet expresses many things, but he most frequently expresses himself, his own temper in the presence of life, his own feeling on a thousand occasions. This personal note is especially to be observed in his earlier productions in the Lettre de Montmoulin, the Comte du Lundi, le petit chose it is also very present in the series of prefaces which he has undertaken to supply to the octavio edition of his works in these prefaces he gives the history of each successive book relates the circumstances under which it was written these things are ingenuously told, but what we are chiefly conscious of in regard to them is that Alphonse Daudet must express himself. His brother informs us that he is writing his memoirs, and this will have been another opportunity for expression. Ernest Daudet, as well as I have mentioned, has attempted to express him mon frere et moi is one of those productions which it is difficult for an english reader to judge in fairness it is so much more confidential than we in public ever venture to be the french have on all occasions the courage of their emotion and m ernest daudet's leading emotion is a boundless admiration for his junior he lays it before us very frankly and gracefully, not on the whole indiscreetly, and I have no quarrel whatever with his volume, for it contains a considerable amount of information on a very interesting subject. Indirectly, indeed, as well as directly, it helps us to a knowledge of his brother. Alphonse Daudet was born in Provence. He comes of an expansive, a confidential race. His style is impregnated with the southern sunshine, and his talent has the sweetness of a fruit that has grown in the warm open air. He has the advantage of being a Provençal converted, as it were, of having a southern temperament and a northern reason. We know what he thinks of the southern temperament. Numa Romestan is a vivid exposition of that. Go de carriero de l'eau de store, as the Provençal has it. Joie de rue de l'heure de maison. Joy in the street and pain in the house. That proverb, says Alphonse Daudet, describes and formulates a whole race. It has given him the subject of an admirable story, in which he has depicted with equal force and tenderness the amiable weaknesses, the mingled violence and levity of the children of the clime of the fig and olive. He has put before us, above all, their mania for talk, their irrepressible chatter, the qualities that, with them, render all passion, all purpose, inordinately vocal himself a complete produit de midi 
Like the famille Meffre in Numa Rumastan, he has achieved the feat of becoming objective to his own vision, getting outside of his ingredients and judging them. This he has done by the aid of his Parisianized conscience, his exquisite taste, and that finer wisdom which resides in the artist from whatever soil he springs. Successfully as he has done it, however, he has not done it so well, but that he too does not show a little of the heightened color, the superabundant statement, the restless movement of his compatriots he is nothing if not demonstrative he is always in a state of feeling he is not a very definite ideal of reserve it must be added that he is a man of genius and that genius never spends its capital that he is an artist and that an artist always has a certain method and order but it remains characteristic of his origin that the author of Numa Rumistan, one of the happiest and most pointed of satires, should have about him the aroma of some of the qualities satirized. There are passages in his tales and in his prefaces that are genuine produits de midi, and his brother's account of him could only have been written by a Provençal brother. To be personnel to that point, transparent, effusive, gushing, to give oneself away in one's books, has never been and never will be the ideal of us of English speech. But that does not prevent our enjoying immensely, when we meet it, a happy example of this alien spirit. For myself, I am free to confess half my affection for Alphonse Daudet comes from the fact that he writes in a way in which I would not write even if I could. There are certain kinds of feeling and observation, certain impressions and ideas, to which we are rather ashamed to give a voice, and yet are ashamed not to have in our scale." In these matters, Alphonse Daudet renders us a great service. He expresses such things on our behalf. I may add that he usually does it much better than the cleverest of us could do, even if we were to try. I have said that he is a Provençal converted, and I should do him a great injustice if I did not dwell upon his conversion." His brother relates the circumstances under which he came up to Paris, at the age of twenty, in a threadbare overcoat and a pair of India rubbers, to seek his literary fortune. His beginnings were difficult, his childhood had been hard, he was familiar with poverty and disaster. He had no adventitious aid to success his whole fortune consisted in his exquisite organization but paris was to be artistically a mine of wealth to him and of all the anxious and eager young spirits who on the battlefield of uncarpeted cinquieme have laid siege to the indifferent city none can have felt more deeply conscious of the mission to take possession of it Alphonse Daudet, at the present hour, is in complete possession of Paris. He knows it, loves it, uses it. He has assimilated it to its last particle. 
he has made of it a paris of his own a paris like a vast crisp water-colour one of the water-colours of the school of fortuny the french have a great advantage in the fact that they admire their capital very much as if it were a foreign city most of their artists their men of letters have come up from the provinces and well as they may learn to know the metropolis it never ceases to be a spectacle a wonder a fascination for them this comes partly from the intrinsic brilliancy and interest of the place partly from the poverty of provincial life and partly from the degree to which the faculty of appreciation is developed in frenchmen of the class of which i speak to daudet at any rate the familiar aspects of paris are endlessly pictorial and part of the charm of his novels for those who share his relish for that huge flower of civilization is in the way he recalls it evokes it suddenly presents it in parts or as a whole to our senses the light the sky the feeling of the air the odors of the streets the look of certain vistas the silvery muddy sen the cool gray tone of color the physiognomy of particular quarters the whole parisian expression meet you suddenly in his pages and remind you again and again that if he paints with a pen he writes with a brush i remember that when i read le nabab and les rois en exil for the first time i said to myself that this was the article du paris in supreme perfection and that no reader could understand such productions who had not had a copious experience of the scene it is certain at any rate that those books have their full value only for minds more or less parisianized half their meaning their magic their subtlety of intention is liable to be lost it may be said that this is a great limitation that the works of the best novelists may be understood by all the world there is something in that but i know not all the same whether the fact i indicate be a great limitation it is certainly a very illustrative quality daudet has caught the tone of a particular pitch of manners he applies it with the lightest surest hand and his picture shines and lives the most generalized representation of life cannot do more than that i shrink very much from speaking of systems in relation to such a genius as this i should incline to believe that daudet's system is simply to be as vivid as he can emile zola has a system at least he says so but i do not remember on the part of the author of numa rumestan the smallest technical profession of faith nevertheless he has taken a line as we say and his line is to sail as close as possible to the actual the life of paris being his subject his attempt most frequently is to put his finger upon known examples so that he has been accused of portraying individuals instead of portraying types there are few of his figures to which the name of some celebrity of the day has not been attached the nabob is francois bravais 
The Duc de Mora is the Duc de Morny. The Irish doctor Jenkins is an English physician who flourished in Paris from such a year to such another. People are still living, wonderful to say, who took his little pills a bas arsenical. Felicia Ruiz is Mademoiselle Sarah Bernhardt. Constance Kremitz is Madame Taglioni. The Queen of Illyria is the Queen of Naples. The Prince of Axel is the Prince of Orange. Tom Levis is an English house agent, not in the Rue Royale, but hard by. Elisee Merot is a well-known journalist, and Dr. Bouchereau a well-known surgeon. Such is the key, we are told, to these ingenious mystifications, and to many others which I have not the space to mention. It matters little to my mind whether in each case the cap fits the supposed model, for nothing is more evident than that Alphonse Daudet has proposed to himself to represent not only the people but the persons of his time. The conspicuity of certain individuals has added to the force with which they speak to his imagination. His taste is for salient figures, and he has said to himself that there is no greater proof of being salient than being known. The temptation to put people into a book is a temptation of which every writer of fiction knows something and I hold that to succumb to it is not only legitimate but inevitable. Putting people into books is what the novelist lives upon. The question in the matter is the question of delicacy, for according to that delicacy the painter conjures away recognition or insists upon it. Daudet has been accused of the impertinence of insisting, and I believe that two or three of his portraits have provoked a protest. He is charged with ingratitude for having produced an effigy of the Duke of Morny, who had been his benefactor and employed him as a secretary. Such a matter as this is between M. Daudet and his conscience, and I am far from pretending to pronounce upon it. The uninitiated reader can only say that the figure is a very striking one, such a picture as, it may be imagined, the Duke de Morny would not be displeased to have inspired. It may fairly be conceded, however, that Daudet is much more an observer than an inventor. The invented parts of his tales, like the loves of Jack and of Paul de Jarry, and the machinations of Madame Othiman, the theological vampire of l'Evangeliste, to whom I shall return for a moment, are the vague, the ineffective, as well as the romantic parts. I remember that in reading Le Nabob, it was not very easy to keep Paul de Géry and André Marin apart. It is the real, the transmuted real, that he gives us best, the fruit of a process that adds to observation what a kiss adds to a greeting. The joy, the excitement of recognition are keen, even when the object recognized is dismal. They are part of his spirit, part of his way of seeing things. 
L'Evangeliste is the saddest story conceivable, but it is lighted throughout by the author's irrepressibly humorous view of the conditions in which its successive elements present themselves, and by the extraordinary vivacity with which, in his hands, narration and description proceed his humour is of the finest it is needless to say that it is never violent nor vulgar it is a part of the high spirits the animal spirits i should say if the phrase has not an association of coarseness that accompany the temperament of his race and it is stimulated by the perpetual entertainment which so rare a visual faculty naturally finds in the spectacle of life even while encountering there a multitude of distressing things daudet's gaiety is a part of his poetry and his poetry is a part of everything he touches there is little enough gaiety in the subject of jack and yet the whole story is told with a smile to complete the charm of the thing the smile is full of feeling here and there it becomes an immense laugh and the result is a delightful piece of drollery les aventures prodigieuses de tartarin de tarascon contain all his high spirits it is one of his few stories in which laughter and tears are not intermingled this little tale which is one of his first is like numarumastan a satire on a southern foible tartarin de tarascon is an excellent man who inhabits the old town on the rhone over which the palace of the good king rene keeps guard he has not a fault in the world except an imagination too vivid he is liable to visions to hallucinations the desire that a thing shall happen speedily resolves itself into the belief that the thing will happen then that it is happening then that it has happened tartarin accordingly presents himself to the world and to himself as a gentleman to whom all wonders are familiar his experience blooms with supposititious flowers the coveted thing for a man of his romantic mould is that he shall be the bravest of the brave, and he passes his life in a series of heroic exploits, in which, as you listen to him, it is impossible not to believe. He passes over from Marseilles to Algiers, where his adventures deepen to a climax, and where he has a desperate flirtation with the principal ornament of the harem of a noble Arab. The lady proves at the end to be a horribly improper little French woman, and poor Tartarin, abused and disabused, returns to Tarascon to meditate on what might have been nothing could be more charming than the light comicality of the sketch which fills a small volume this is the most mirthful the most completely diverting of all daudet's tales but the same element in an infinitely subtler form runs through the others the essence of it is the wish to please and this brings me back to the point to which i intended to return the wish to please is the quality by which Daudet persuades his readers most. 
it is this that elicits from them that friendliness that confession that they are charmed of which i spoke at the beginning of these remarks it gives a sociability to his manner in spite of the fact that he describes all sorts of painful and odious things this contradiction is a part of his originality he has no pretension to being simple he is perfectly conscious of being complex and in nothing is he more modern than in this expressive and sympathetic smile the smile of the artist the sceptic the man of the world with which he shows us the miseries and cruelties of life it is singular that we should like him for that and doubtless many people do not or think they do not what they really dislike i believe is the things he relates which are often lamentable section four the first of these were slight and simple and for the most part cheerful little anecdotes and legends of provence impressions of an artist's holidays in that strange bare lovely land and of wanderings further afield in corsica and algeria sketches of paris during the siege incidents of the invasion the advent of the prussian rule in other parts of the country in all these things there is la note amoué the smile which is only a more synthetic sign of being moved and then such grace of form such lightness of touch such alertness of observation some of the chapters of the latch de montmoulin are such perfect vignettes that the brief treatment of small subjects might well have seemed at first alphonse daudet's appointed work he had almost invented a manner and it was impossible to do better than he the small piece or even the passage glimpses reminiscences accidents he rendered them with the brilliancy of a violinist improvising on a sudden hint the latch de montmoulin moreover are impregnated with the light with the fragrance of a provencal summer the rosemary and thyme are in the air as we read the white rocks and the grey foliage stretch away to a horizon of hills the alpi the little alps on which colour is as iridescent as the breast of a dove the provence of alphonse daudet is a delightful land even when the mistral blows there it has a music in its whistle emile zola has protested against this he too is of provencal race he passed his youth in the old languedoc and he intimates that his fanciful friend throws too much sweetness into the picture it is beyond contradiction that daudet like tartarin de tarascon and numarumastan exaggerates a little he sees with great intensity and is very sensitive to agreeable impressions le petit chose his first long story reads to-day like the attempt of a beginner and of a beginner who had read and enjoyed dickens i risk this allusion to the author of copperfield in spite of a conviction that alphonse daudet must be tired of hearing that he imitates him it is not imitation there is nothing so gross as imitation in the length and breadth of daudet's work but it is conscious sympathy for there is plenty of that 
there are pages in his tales which seem to say to us that at one moment of his life dickens had been a revelation to him pages more particularly in le petit chose in fromant jeune and in jack the heroine of the first of these works a very shadowy personage is never mentioned but as the black eyes someone else is always spoken of as the dame de grande merite the heroine's father who keeps a flourishing china shop never opens his mouth without saying c'est le casse de le dire these are harmless they are indeed sometimes very happy dickensisms we make no crime of them to m daudet who must have felt as intelligently as he has felt everything else the fascinating form of the english novelist's drollery fromant jeune a risley anet is a study of life in the old quarter of the marais the paris of the seventeenth century whose stately hotels have been invaded by the innumerable activities of modern trade when i say a study i use the word with all those restrictions with which it must be applied to a genius who is truthful without being literal and who has a pair of butterflies wings attached to the back of his observation if subtitles were the fashion to-day the right one for fromant jeune would be or the dangers of partnership the action takes place for the most part in a manufactory of wallpapers, and the persons in whom the author seeks to interest us are engaged in this useful industry. There are delightful things in the book, but, as I intimated at the beginning of these remarks, there are considerable inequalities. The pages that made M. Daudet's fortune, for it was with Fromant Jeune that his fortune began, are those which relate to the history of M. de Lobel, the superannuated tragedian, his long-suffering wife, and his exquisite lame daughter, who makes butterflies and hummingbirds for ladies' head-dresses this eccentric and pathetic household was an immense hit and daudet has never been happier than in the details of the group delobel himself who has not had an engagement for ten years and who never will have one again but who holds none the less that it is his duty not to leave the stage not to give up the theatre though his platonic passion is paid for by the weary eyesight of his wife and daughter who sit up half the night attaching bead eyes to little stuffed animals the blooming and sonorous delobel ferociously selfish and fantastically vain under the genial forms of melodrama is a beautiful representation of a vulgarly factitious nature the book revealed a painter all the descriptive passages the pictorial touches had the truest felicity no one better than daudet gives what we call the feeling of a place the story illustrates among other things the fact that a pretty little woman who is consumed with the lowest form of vanity and unimpeded in her operations by the possession of a heart may inflict an unlimited amount of injury upon people about her if she only have the opportunity. 
the case is well demonstrated and sidonie shebb is an elaborate study of flimsiness her papery quality as i may call it her rustling dryness are effectively rendered but i think there is a limit to the interest which the english-speaking reader of french novels can take to-day in the adventures of a lady who leads the life of madame sidonie in the first place he has met her again and again he knows exactly what she will do and say in every situation and in the second there always seems to him to be in her vices her disorders an element of the conventional there is a receipt among french novelists for making little high-heeled reprobates however this may be he has at least a feeling that at night all cats are grey and that the particular tint of depravity of a woman whose nature has the shallowness of a sanded floor is not a very important constatation daudet has expended much ingenuity in endeavouring to hit the particular tint of sidonie he has wished to make her a type the type of the daughter of small unsuccessful shopkeepers narrow-minded and self-complacent to imbecility whose corruption comes from the examples temptations opportunities of a great city as well as from her impure blood and the infection of the meanest associations but what all this illustrates was not worth illustrating the early chapters of Jack are admirable. The later ones suffer a little, I think, from the story being drawn out too much, like an accordion when it wishes to be plaintive. Jack is a kind of younger brother of the petit chose, though he takes the troubles of life rather more stoutly than that delicate and diminutive hero a poor boy with a doting and disreputable mother whose tenderness is surpassed by her frivolity and who sacrifices her son to the fantastic egotism of an unsuccessful man of letters with whom she passes several years of her life she is another study of coquinery she is another shade but she is a more apprehensible figure than sidonie shebb she is indeed a very admirable portrait the success of the book however is the figure of her lover that is of her protector and bully the unrecognized genius aforesaid author of le fille de faust an uncirculated dramatic poem in the manner of goethe and centre of a little group of ratés a collection of deadbeats as we say to-day as pretentious as impotent as envious and as bilious as himself he conceives a violent hatred of the offspring of his amiable companion and the subject of jack is the persecution of the boy by this monstrous charlatan this persecution is triumphantly successful the youthful hero dies on the threshold of manhood broken down by his tribulations and miseries he has been thrown upon the world to earn his bread and among other things seeks a livelihood as a stoker on an atlantic steamer jack has been taken young and though his nature is gentle and tender his circumstances succeed in degrading him he is reduced at the end 
to a kind of bewildered brutishness. The story is simply the history of a juvenile martyrdom pityingly, expansively told, and I am afraid that Mr. Charles Dudley Warner, who, in writing lately about modern fiction, complains of the abuse of pathetic effects in that form of composition, would find little to commend in this brilliant paraphrase of suffering. Mr. Warner's complaint is eminently just, and the fault of Jack is certainly the abuse of pathos. Mr. Warner does not mention Alphonse Daudet by name, but it is safe to assume that in his reflections upon the perversity of those writers who will not make a novel as comfortable as one's stockings or as pretty as a Christmas card, he was thinking of the author of so many uncompromising denouements. It is true that this probability is diminished by the fact that when he remarks that surely the main object in the novel is to entertain, he appears to imply that the writers who furnish his text are faithless to this duty. It is possible he would not have made that implication if he had had in mind the productions of a storyteller who has the great peculiarity of being amusing as the old-fashioned critics say, even when he touches the source of tears. The word entertaining has two or three shades of meaning, but in whatever sense it is used I may say in parenthesis that I do not agree with Mr. Warner's description of the main object of the novel. I should put the case differently. I should say that the main object of the novel is to represent life, I cannot understand any other motive for interweaving imaginary incidents, and I do not perceive any other measure of the value of such combinations. The effect of a novel, the effect of any work of art, is to entertain, but that is a very different thing. The success of a work of art, to my mind, may be measured by the degree to which it produces a certain illusion. That illusion makes it appear to us for the time that we have lived another life, that we have had a miraculous enlargement of experience. The greater the art, the greater the miracle, and the more certain also the fact that we have been entertained in the best meaning of that word, at least, which signifies that we have been living at the expense of someone else. I am perfectly aware that to say the object of a novel is to represent life does not bring the question to a point so fine as to be uncomfortable for anyone. It is of the greatest importance that there should be a very free appreciation of such a question, and the definition I have hinted at gives plenty of scope for that. For, after all, may not people differ infinitely as to what constitutes life, what constitutes representation? Some people, for instance, hold that Miss Austen deals with life, that Miss Austen represents. Others attribute these achievements to the accomplished Oida, some people find that illusion, that enlargement of experience, that miracle of living at the expense of others of which I have spoken in the novels of Alexandre Dumas. Others revel in them in the pages of Mr. Howells. Section 5 
Monsieur Daudet's unfortunate Jack, at any rate, lives altogether at his own cost, that of his poor little juvenile constitution, and of his innocent affections and aspirations. He is sent to the horrible Gymnase Moranval, where he has no beguiling works of fiction to read. The Gymnase Moranval is a Dothboy's Hall in a Parisian passage, a very special class of academy. Nothing could be more effective than Daudet's picture of this horrible institution, with its bankrupt and exasperated proprietors, the greasy penitentiary of a group of unremunerative children whose parents and guardians have found it convenient to forget them. The episode of the wretched little hereditary monarch of an African tribe who has been placed there for a royal education, and who, livid with cold, short rations and rough usage, and with his teeth chattering with a sense of dishonor, steals away and wanders in the streets of Paris, and then, recaptured and ferociously punished, surrenders his little dusky soul in the pestilential dormitory of the establishment. All this part of the tale is a masterpiece of vivid description. We seem to assist at the terrible soirees where the ratés exhibit their talents. Monsieur Moranval is, of course, a raté and where the wife of the principal, a very small woman with a very big head and a very high forehead, expounds the wonderful méthode d'écostère, invented by herself and designated by her maiden name, for pronouncing the French tongue with elegance. My criticism of this portion of the book, and indeed of much of the rest of it, would be that the pathetic element is too intentional, too volu, as the French say and i am not sure that the reader enters into the author's reason for making charlotte jack's mother a woman of the class that we do not specify in american magazines she is an accommodating idiot but her good nature is unfortunately not consecutive and she consents at the instigation of the diabolical d'argentan to her child's being brought up like a pauper d'argenton like delobel is a study of egotism pushed to the grotesque but the portrait is still more complete and some of the details are inimitable as regards the infatuated charlotte who sacrifices her child to the malignity of her lover i repeat that certain of the features of her character appear to me a mistake judged in relation to the effect that the author wishes to produce he wishes to show us all that the boy loses in being disinherited if i may use that term with respect to a situation in which there is nothing to inherit but his loss is not great when we consider that his mother had, after all, very little to give him. She had divested herself of important properties. Bernard Jean Soulet in Le Nebab is not, like the two most successful figures that Daudet has previously created, a representation of full-blown selfishness the unhappy nabob is generous to a fault he is the most good-natured and free-handed of men and if he has made use of all sorts of means to build up his enormous fortune he knows an equal number of ways of spending it 
This voluminous tale had an immense success. It seemed to show that Daudet had found his manner, a manner that was perfectly new and remarkably ingenious. As I have said, it held up the mirror to contemporary history, and attempted to complete for us, by supplementary revelations, those images which are projected by the modern newspaper and the album of photographs. Les Rois en Exil is an historical novel of this pattern, in which the process is applied with still more spirit. In these two works, Daudet enlarged his canvas surprisingly, and showed his ability to deal with a multitude of figures. The distance traversed artistically from the little anecdotes of the Lettre de Montmoulin to the complex narrative of Le Nabab and its successor are like the transformation, often so rapid, of a slim and charming young girl into a blooming and accomplished woman of the world. The author's style had taken on bone and muscle, and become conscious of treasures of nervous agility. I have left myself no space to speak of these things in detail, and it was not part of my purpose to examine Daudet's novels piece by piece, but I may say that it is the items, the particular touches, that make the value of writing of this kind. I am not concerned to defend the process, the system, so far as there is a system, but I cannot open either Le Nebab or Les Rois en Exil, cannot rest my eyes upon a page without being charmed by the brilliancy of execution. It is difficult to give an idea, by any general terms, of Daudet's style a style which defies convention, tradition, homogeneity, prudence, and sometimes even syntax, gathers up every patch of color, every colloquial note, that will help to illustrate, and moves eagerly, lightly, triumphantly along, like a clever woman in the costume of an eclectic age. There is nothing classic in this mode of expression. It is not the old-fashioned drawing in black and white. It never rests, never is satisfied, never leaves the idea sitting half-draped, like patience on a monument. It is always panting, straining, fluttering, trying to add a little more to produce the effect which shall make the reader see with his eyes, or rather with the marvellous eyes of Alphonse Daudet. Le Nabob is full of episodes which are above all pages of execution, triumphs of translation. The author has drawn up a list of the Parisian solemnities, and painted the portrait, or given a summary of each of them the opening day at the Salon, a funeral at Père Lachaise, a debate in the Chamber of Deputies, the premiere of a new play at a favorite theatre, furnish him with so many opportunities for his gymnastics of observation. I should like to say how rich and entertaining I think the figure of Jean Soulet, the robust and good-natured son of his own works, originally a dock porter at Marseille who, after amassing a fabulous number of millions and selling European luxuries on commission to the Bay of Tunis, comes to Paris to try to make his social fortune as he has already made his financial, 
and after being a nine days wonder a public joke and the victim of his boundless hospitality after being flattered by charlatans rifled by adventurers belaboured by newspapers and exploited to the last penny of his coffers and the last pulsation of his vanity by every one who comes near him dies of apoplexy in his box at the theatre while the public hoots him for being unseated for electoral frauds in the chamber of deputies where for a single mocking hour he has tasted the sweetness of political life i should like to say too that however much or however little the duc de morat may resemble the duc de morny the character depicted by daudet is a wonderful study of that modern passion the love of good form the chapter that relates the death of the duke and describes the tumult the confusion of his palace the sudden extinction of the rapacious interests that crowd about him and to which the collapse of his splendid security comes as the first breath of a revolution this chapter is famous and gives the fullest measure of what daudet can do when he fairly warms to his work le roi en exil however has a greater perfection it is simpler more equal and it contains much more of the beautiful in le nabab there are various lacunae and a certain want of logic it is not a sustained narrative but a series of almost diabolically clever pictures but the other book has more largeness of line a fine tragic movement which deepens and presses to the catastrophe daudet had observed that several dispossessed monarchs had taken up their residence in the french capital some of them waiting and plotting for a restoration and chafing under their disgrace others indifferent resigned relieved eager to console themselves with the pleasures of paris it occurred to him to suppose a drama in which these exalted personages should be the actors and which unlike either of his former productions should have a pure and noble heroine he was conscious of a dauntless little imagination the idea of making kings and queens talk among themselves had no terror for him he had faith in his good taste in his exquisite powers of divination the success is worthy of the spirit the gallant artistic spirit in which it was invoked le roi en exil is a finished picture he has had it is true to simplify his subject a good deal to make it practicable the court of the king and queen of illyria in the suburb of st mondé is a little too much like a court in a fairy tale but the amiable depravity of christiane in whom conviction resolution ambition are hopelessly dead and whose one desire is to enjoy paris with the impunity of a young man about town the proud serious concentrated nature of frederica who believes ardently in her royal function and lives with her eyes fixed on the crown which she regards as a symbol of duty both of these conceptions do m daudet the utmost honour and prove that he is capable of handling great situations 
situations which have a depth of their own and do not depend for their interest on amusing accidents it takes perhaps some courage to say so but the feelings the passions the view of life of royal personages differ essentially from those of common mortals their education their companions their traditions their exceptional position take sufficient care of that alphonse daudet has comprehended the difference and i scarcely know in the last few years a straighter flight of imagination the history of the queen of illyria is a tragedy her husband sells his birthright for a few millions of francs and rolls himself in the parisian gutter her child perishes from poverty of blood she herself dries up in her despair there is nothing finer in all Daudet than the pages at the end of the book which describe her visits to the great physician Boucherot when she takes her poor half-blind child by the hand and, wishing an opinion unbiased by the knowledge of her rank, goes to sit in his waiting-room like one of the vulgar multitude. Wonderful are the delicacy, the verity, the tenderness of these pages, we always point to them to justify our prelediction but we must stop pointing we will not say more of numa rumastan than we have already said for it is better to pass so happy a work by than to speak of it inadequately we will only repeat that we delight in numa rumastan alphonse daudet's last book is a novelty at the time i write l'evangeliste has been before the public but a month or two i will say but little of it partly because my opportunity is already over and partly because i have found that for a fair judgment of one of daudet's works the book should be read a second time after a certain interval has elapsed this interval has not brought round my second perusal of l'evangeliste my first suggests that with all the author's present mastery of his resources the book has a grave defect it is not that the story is painful that is a defect only when the sources of this element are not as i may say abundant it treats of a young girl a danish protestant who is turned to stone by a medusa of calvinism the sombre and fanatical wife of a great protestant banker Madame Othemon persuades Eline Epson to wash her hands of the poor old mother with whom, up to this moment, she has lived in the closest affection, and go forth into strange countries to stir up the wicked to conversion. The excellent Madame Epson, bewildered, heartbroken, desperate, terrified at the imagined penalties of her denunciation of the rich and powerful bigot, so that she leaves her habitation and hides in a household of small mechanics to escape from them one of the best episodes in the book protests struggles goes down on her knees in vain then at last stupefied and exhausted desists looks for the last time at her inexorable impenetrable daughter who has hard texts on her lips and no recognition in her eye and who lets her pass away without an embrace forever 
the incident in itself is perfectly conceivable many well-meaning persons have held human relations cheap in the face of a religious call but daudet's weakness has been simply a want of acquaintance with his subject proposing to himself to describe a particular phase of french protestantism he has got up certain of his facts with commendable zeal but he has not felt nor understood the matter has looked at it solely from the outside sought to make it above all things grotesque and extravagant into these excesses it doubtless frequently falls but there is a general human verity which regulates even the most stubborn wills the most perverted lives and of this saving principle the author in quest of striking pictures has rather lost his grasp his pictures are striking as a matter of course but to us readers of protestant race familiar with the large free salubrious life which the children of that faith have carried with them over the globe there is almost a kind of drollery in these fearsome pictures of the protestant temperament the fact is that m daudet has not to my belief any natural understanding of the religious passion he has a quick perception of many things but that province of the human mind cannot be fait de chic experience there is the only explorer madame othiman is not a real bigot she is simply a dusky effigy she is undemonstrated aileen epson is not a victim inasmuch as she is but half alive and victims are victims only in virtue of being thoroughly sentient i do not easily perceive her spiritual joints all the human part of the book however has the author's habitual felicity and the reader of these remarks knows what i hold that to be it may seem to him indeed that in making the concession i made just above in saying that alphonse daudet's insight fails him when he begins to take the soul into account i partly retract some of the admiration i have expressed for him for that amounts after all to saying that he has no high imagination and as a consequence no ideas it is very true i am afraid that he has not a great number of ideas there are certain things he does not conceive certain forms that never appear to him imaginative writers of the first order always give us an impression that they have a kind of philosophy we should be embarrassed to put our finger on daudet's philosophy and yet you have praised him so much we fancy we hear it urged you have praised him as if he were one of the very first all that is very true and yet we take nothing back determinations of rank are a delicate matter and it is sufficient priority for an author that one likes him immensely daudet is bright vivid tender he has an intense artistic life and then he is so free for the spirit that moves slowly going carefully from point to point not sure whether this or that or the other will do the sight of such freedom is delightful eighteen eighty three end of chapter seven alphonse daudet